Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, this week we are talking about sensory deprivation. Uh, this is an interesting subject we've uh, we've touched on here and there in the past. Uh, but we are this time we are talking about the tank. We are talking about the water. We are talking about immersing yourself in what John C. Lilly referred to in the introduction to the deep self as the womb-to-tomb wet box. Which sounds lovely, right? Yes. Yeah, I want that for myself. <laughs> uh, but I kind of do want that for myself, uh, just because I have seen these wonderful photos of people floating around in the Dead Sea, mm-hmm. which is full of water, right? Live people. Live people with these beatific smiles on their face. And apparently the salt content is, is makes the water so buoyant that it feels like this sort of zero-gravity experience. So I've always thought, that seems pretty neat. Um, what's the deal with that? Well, you can have that sort of experience albeit in this sort of tomb-like coffin. Uh, well, I wouldn't... I mean, yes, it is kind of coffin-esque, but I wouldn't, you know... I, I think of it more of as a more of a, like a space sarcophagus. You know, I, there, there are different iterations of it, and some of them look really slick and very much like they would be on some sort of spacecraft and, you know, yeah, like, like, 20... Uh, I like to think of, uh, you know, like those, uh, those pods that people, uh, you know, enjoy hypersleep in, in the science fiction uh, stories. Exactly, yeah. right? Um, so this is, you know, this is this idea of the suspended hibernation, this, this idea that we could have a forced shutdown of our brain. Yes. Without dying. And, uh, perhaps there would be some sort of benefit to it. And there's a long tradition of studying this, this sensory deprivation, which causes this, this forced shutdown. So we're going to discuss some of that today. And I thought it would probably be helpful to talk a little bit about um, some of our other podcast episodes before, particularly Splendid Isolation, when we talked about the what happens when um, you are isolated and when your senses are deprived of stimuli. And also uh, touch on the default mode network really quickly. Yes. Because we talked about this with the science of hallucinogens. We talked about it with meditation and yoga, this idea that this part of your brain, the default mode network, is causing that constant chatter buzz in your brain, which can sometimes lead to depression. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the the brain and its and its sensory input. Uh, I like to think... I, I like to think of it this way, and I invite everyone else out there to think of the most media-addicted person in your life, uh, the person who is just, they're constantly on Twitter, they're constantly, uh, you know, checking their Facebook status, they're they are using Foursquare, they always have earbuds in, uh, fingers typing away, they just have to be connected to all these things. So they're like, they're doing Twitter, they're doing live Twitter updates while they're watching some show on TiVo. Everything is connected. And then what happens when you break them away, if you've ever successfully broken them away <laughs> from those things? It, it changes them. There's like a shock that goes through their system, sometimes for the better, uh, maybe sometimes for the worse. But their sensory input has, has, has altered, and it has altered how they feel about the world around them and how they interact with the world around them. Well, on a more basic level, sensory deprivation involves robbing the brain of a lot of its inputs. Our brain is constantly chewing on stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's chewing on thoughts and it's chewing on all the sensory input that's coming into us. It's chewing on the sights, the smells, the sounds, the, the tastes, uh, various other senses that we've just discussed in the past that are, that are further down the list. 
but it's it's processing all of this. It's crunching it. It's making sense of the world around it. And what happens when you cut off even one or two or three of those senses? Well, you see that chatter go down, specifically in the medial prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, the medial parietal cortex, and the medial temporal lobes, because this is where uh, most of the activity activity occurs when you have repetitive thoughts. It's sort of the cohesive center of self, the ego of mm-hmm. the brain. And when you can shut down some of that stimuli, well, then, as we've seen with meditation or with some of these studies with hallucinogens and depression, it gets pretty quiet there. And that is the goal of, of some of this sensory deprivation. So, yeah, as we've discussed before, this ties into the basic um, you know, eye story that ends up uh, clogging up most of our brains uh, all the time, this uh, story that we put ourselves at the center of, and it's the constant chatter that's telling you, hey, you're you're not doing it right, you're doing it wrong, you're really screwing up this podcast, that kind of thing. And uh, and then you have to, to shut that down in order to properly focus on anything. That's right. So... There are a lot of benefits here for having sensory deprivation in your life, right? Um, but there is a dark side to it. And in order for us to really get to the benefits of plunging yourself into a bunch of water encapsulated uh, by walls around you, we should look at the CIA and some past experiments with sensory deprivation. Yes, I mean, we've discussed before uh, in our episode, Splendid Isolation, uh, some of the, the harmful effects of isolation on the human mind because... You can shut off a lot of these uh, these inputs and have beneficial effects, as we were we we're going to discuss. But uh, also, the brain can have a tendency to sort of chew on itself uh, in these situations. Um, for instance, uh, prisoners uh, who've who've been isolated for long periods of time have been known to experience depression, despair, anxiety, rage, claustrophobia, hallucinations, problem with impulse control, uh, and impaired ability to think, concentrate, or remember. Um, tinnitus, uh, weakening of the immune system, uh, premature menopause, aggressive behaviors in prisoners, volunteers, animals. There's a whole list of uh, dire consequences to shutting oneself off. So for a long time, it's been a, it's also been used as a method of uh, interrogation, or even if you want to use a more um, um, harsh uh, terminology here, soft torture. Um, what is a way to induce a horrible state upon uh, upon a human mind without actually resorting to physical violence and physical torture. Well, you just start shutting off the sensory input. You put them in a position where uh, maybe they're not seeing, they're not hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the uh, experiments we were, we were looking at involved even uh, even you're like putting the equivalent of, of thick gloves on or cardboard tubes around the arms so they can't even get any kind of sensation that way. Putting them in a space that uh, essentially just has room for a bed. Uh, in some cases, you see the use of hoods to uh, heavy, thick hoods that also... Uh, contribute to even more um, dampening of sound or the use of white noise uh, mm-hmm. earphones to uh, to clog the mind uh, with, uh, with with just this constant white noise. Yeah, I mean, essentially what you're talking about is taking away the chew toys of the mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just described uh, a Dr. David Hebb's experiment. Uh, he did this, in, I believe, in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, in one uh, study, he had student volunteers at McGill University, where he was the head of psychology, and he put them in an air-conditioned cubicle, as you say, just a room enough for a bed. Mm-hmm. He placed goggles, gloves, and earmuffs on them, and then he piped in some white noise. And he had hoped 
to observe them for up to six weeks. That's what he thought he could get out of this. He could see this gradual deterioration of the mind. But it turns out that those students lasted for only two days and 24 hours. Hallucinations began in 48 hours. They suffered a complete breakdown. And these students, by the way, were not primed at all for this experience. Nobody was. In fact, the students all came in with this idea that they were going to get a lot of work done. There was one student who was going to work on a presentation. So they thought that they'd have this quiet, nice time uh, for their mind to really dwell in. But once you took away some of these basic stimuli, it it just sort of wrecked them. Yeah, I believe this was a study. It was originally he was hoping to conduct it for about six weeks, and uh, it just did not last that long. Uh, like you said, we're talking ended up more like a, a few days at most uh, with the uh, participants. Yeah, actually, uh, the BBC had a documentary called, or they have a documentary called Alone, the Brain, Sensory Deprivation and Isolation, and it recreated Hebb's experiment, and it just was pretty awful. In fact, the person who suffered the most was a comedian who was so used to the sort of back and forth right. of, um, of, of stimuli with his fellow humans that you know, he was the first to fall apart. Yeah, starve a comedian um, of his or her audience, and... Uh and it's going, there are going to be dire consequences. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about um, these uh, sensory deprivation tanks that we encounter today. Uh, if you live in a larger area, uh, chances are there's at least one that you might be able to find in mm-hmm. your area. I know in the Atlanta area, there seems to be mainly one place to go. Uh, I understand in New York City, even, there are only a handful of possibilities. Some individuals who are really into sensory deprivation uh, may own their own tanks, and there are people out there who will sell you one. Michael Crichton, by the way, has one. He, he had one? He has one. Well, he's dead. Sorry, he had one. <laughs> <laughs> um, though there are various interpretations of, of, of what that might uh, might consist of. But uh, in, in a sense, he does have one now, I think. I don't know the details of his burial. but I mean, you know, define has. Yeah. Right? Was this rearranged Adams? But that makes sense. You know, he was a, he was a thoughtful individual. I can imagine him. Uh, he probably had to get an extra big one, though. He was a very tall man. I don't know, but I mean, apparently this was something that was, uh, or this is very helpful to people in, in the arts, also yeah. athletes as well. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of the benefits, which we'll get into uh, uh, here, involve benefits to uh, creative individuals who are trying to think creatively about various tasks, uh, individuals who sustain various injuries or bodily trauma, people dealing with uh, with with depression, um, if it's coupled with the right uh, uh, amount of psychotherapy as well. Uh, but, but what are we talking about here? A sensory tank is essentially the, uh, the Dead Sea uh, inside of a container, mm-hmm. like we were talking earlier. The idea that you're going to have a salty broth to float in, and the chamber itself is uh, is soundproof. Uh, it, there's no light. You're just floating as if uh, as if in the womb. Yes, and uh, a this, salty womb. A salty womb, and this is from the Samadhi manufacturer. One of the manu- manufacturer of these tanks says the float tank is a little larger um, than a twin size bed and about chest high. It contains ten inches of water to which so much Epsom salts have been added. Uh, that when you get in and lie on your back, you are pushed to the surface so that you float like a cork, weightless as an astronaut in space. Now, when they talk about a lot of salt here, they're talking about 800 pounds of Epsom salt in this uh, this pool here. Uh, there is a lightweight door that you can leave open, or if you want to get rid of the distractions of noise and light, you can close the door. You can also put earplugs in, which yeah. uh, probably helps with not getting the water into your ears. Yeah, and yeah, it's that sound canceling and all, I believe. Um, and and also worth noting, you mentioned the door. The door is not locked. You're not sealed in here like a tomb. So if you do have 
a need to get out, be it uh, physical or, or, or mental, um, it's, it's easy to do so. Okay, so the cool thing about this, though, in case you're a germaphobe, is that between floating sessions, the water is filtered and sterilized with UV light on a regular basis, and hydrogen peroxide is poured into the water for, of course, more hygienic Yeah, reasons. so it's not like just a giant uh, foot bath at a, at a cheap uh, nail salon. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if someone pees in the pool, don't worry about that. <laughs> I can imagine asking that when one goes in. You know, is it okay to pee in the... Um, in, in the isolation chamber, in the uh, the sensory deprivation chamber. I dare you. No, I, I, I will not bring it up. <laughs> but, I mean, it might be in the literature when you sign out. I mean, I be, uh, should have mentioned earlier, I've not used one of these yet, uh, but uh, but I, I do intend to at some point. Uh, yeah, we both are going to do this. Sign, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so, so, but we wanted to go ahead and, and cover it in the podcast right now and talk about it, talk about sort of the limited studies that surround this and then have the experience, maybe talk about it later. Yeah, and then we can draw in personal experience. Yeah, we don't want to prime our brains too much. Um, but anyway, these, these things, uh, they gained popularity in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, they started to want a bit, um, but they have made a resurgence. Excellent. Yeah, because you, you did have that first... Uh, First real push uh, for the, the for, for the uh, the sensory deprivation tank, uh, uh, especially uh, based on uh, the work of uh, John C. Lilly, mm-hmm. um, uh, Doctor Sudfeld. We'll be getting into these guys in, in a bit, um, and, and I guess like a lot of these things, it you know, it, it dies out for a little bit, and the, people get old older. They uh, they maybe maybe the, the isolation tank just becomes a place where you store some tools. Uh, just sets empty in the backyard, and occasionally you have to explain it to some guests. But now you have uh, you have people that are rediscovering exactly what uh, what this uh, technology or or methodology can do for one. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we will dive into the tank in a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will talk about John C. Lilly, the uh, patron saint of LSD and dolphin science, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, we're back, and uh, let's talk a little bit about John C. Lilly. We have discussed him um, in one episode in detail, and he's come up a time or two since then. Um, well, no, we probably mentioned him a couple of times in, in, in detail, because uh, John C. Lilly made his name in uh, the field of electronic brain stimulation, mm-hmm. uh, in the field of uh, dolphin communication, <laughs> and, in, in the, and in the field of just uh, progressively crazier and eventually unfunded uh, research. Yeah, but although he started out being funded by the Naval Institute and by the National Institute of Mental Health, but yes. as you say, his studies, his experiments became a little bit more fringe. Well, of course, he lost his funding. Yes. But this is someone who is was steeped in science, at least uh, pure science in the beginnings, and then it kind of got muddled. Yeah, I, I would argue that he never... You know, he never ceased being being a very brilliant, thought provoking man. It's mm-hmm. just in in the the early stages, he was more of a pure scientist, and his work and his uh, and his curiosity became uh, more and more esoteric as the uh, as the the decades rolled on. And well, in the f- influence of his own studies of LSD, yes, uh, which he he used himself as a subject quite a bit. Yeah, generally, um, yeah, combining sensory deprivation tank with a large amount of LSD to. Uh, uh, to create uh, you know, the expected results uh, as he attempted to, uh, at times, uh, communicate with dolphins, mm-hmm. uh, and not only dolphins as we know them, but dolphins as this kind of uh, uh, pan-dimensional creature. Remember, too, this is the guy who took a two-bedroom house and he submersed it in water and put one of his re- female research assistants in with a dolphin 
and uh, the dolphin and the female had a sort of relationship, and I will leave it at that. <laughs> um, but so this is uh, someone who's thinking outside of the box and now, the tank. Yes. Now his tank was pretty hardcore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a, you know the older day, the early days, the cowboy days of sensory deprivation tanks, where you you really needed to, to go out and build your own, design your own, and figure yeah. out exactly what the the specs were going to be. So temperature regulated, salt filled, soundproof, light proof tank. Um, and in this one, you were, though there was no just sort of gently floating on top of the water, you were submerged uh, up to the very top of your head. Yeah, this is the pre-salt one. Yeah. 160 gallons of water. Yes. And uh, and so your head is basically encased in this um, this latex mask, mm-hmm. uh, like wrapped in latex with these uh, with, with the, these uh, these breathing holes coming out front from it. Uh, it's called a blackout mask, and it it looked it. If you imagine something that you might see in, say, uh, you know, a Nine Inch Nails video from uh, from the '90s, or at some sort of a fetish club or something, then this is about what the blackout mask looked yeah, like. Yeah, I was thinking about the Gimp from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it looks kind of like a Gimp mask as designed by Doctor Seuss. Yes, right, because that's where the the air hose connected to the pump comes in the Seussian part. Yeah. I think. Or if you've ever seen anyone uh, receiving some getting some sort of like mount monster makeup for a movie, and they you know they, they put the straws in mm-hmm. and they coat them completely. It's that level of just wrapping your head up and cutting off all of the the sensory equipment from the outside world, in addition to being in this lightless, soundproof tank and possibly on LSD. Right. But the nice part of this is that the water, I think you had mentioned, is is kept at 34 degrees Celsius or 99 Mm -hmm. degrees Fahrenheit. So it's nice and warm. Yeah, it, it, contrary to, to the description, there it was not a, a, a torture method. It was uh, this was a, a, just an, an ability to again shut down the sensory input to the brain uh, and go on this journey of self-discovery or um, pan-dimensional communication. Yeah, and so later on, though, of course, uh, Lily figured out that he could just fill this tank with a bunch of salt and have people float to the top. They didn't have to wear their latex masks because, of course, people were bothered by that. And he could still have his experiments. Um, and also, by the way, this tank was then um, sort of, as you s- described, be- more of like a sarcophagus. So yeah. then you have no light source and you have the sort of quietude that you need um, to have the sensory deprivation. Yeah. Now, and he wrote a lot about um, the uh, the womb-to-tomb wet box. And, uh, and, and, it, and with Lily... Like a lot of people who get into some crazy stuff, it's it's also easy to just discount him and say, "Oh, well, that, that's just a crazy old man in a mm-hmm. in a in a tank of water doing drugs." But a lot of what he said, even you know, as, as he went further down the, the fringe path, a lot of it still lines up with what we know about the the, the inner workings of the human mind, about the default mode network. Um, one quick uh, quote here from uh, from his book. At the highest level of Satori, which people, from which people return, the point of consciousness becomes a surface or a solid, which extends through the whole universe. It was in this state that I experienced myself as melded and intertwined with hundreds of billions of other beings in a thin sheet of consciousness that was distributed around the galaxy, a membrane. So, on one hand, that does sound like maybe a lot of hippy-trippy nonsense, but uh, this idea of, like, of, of, of voices shutting down, of your mm-hmm. consciousness becoming like a... A, a single featureless plane uh, l- lines up uh, with a lot of w- what we know about just having a calm mind, about calming the mind, about shutting down the default yeah. uh, network. Well, I was thinking about his experience and then other people's experiences minus the LSD mm-hmm. and how they all share that sort of overview effect that astronauts sometimes experience when they look at the, the, the Earth 
Um, and they get that sense of unity and the, the shedding of the self, the shedding of the ego. Yeah. So that's something that his experience has in common with, with a bunch of other people. Um, but again, most people uh, who have undergone the sensory deprivation in the tank do not have that experience that he had where he had the conferences of the three entities right, or, or whatever sort of aliens or other beings that came to him. So that probably was part and parcel of the, the hallucinogens that he was taking. But as we've discussed with hallucinations before, uh, there are hallucinations and there are hallucinations. There are drug-induced hallucinations, yeah. but there there are hallucinations produced just entirely by, by non-illicit uh, um, methods. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that. I was mm-hmm. thinking that when you don't have the stimuli, just like when we talked about Lilliputian hallucinations, the brain will make something up. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There are degrees to it, and there are sources of it. Yeah, I was actually looking at a 2004 study that uh, that found that uh, during prolonged uh, blindfolding uh, experiments with sighted individuals, they experienced visual hallucinations. Well, and then there was a 2009 study from uh, the Department of Clinical, Educational, and Health Psychology, University College of London, uh, where they found that just 15 minutes of near total sensory deprivation was enough to trigger vivid hallucinations in many of its test subjects. Mm-hmm. So, again, no LSD required. Uh, when dealing with a sensory deprivation tank. And uh, that's one of the, the appeals to some users of it. Okay, is that the Antiochic Chamber, the 2009 study? Uh, I think I read the same thing about the 15-minute. Yes, yeah, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, which is a sort of different uh, stimulation or uh, lack of stimulation, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in an upcoming episode. But that's interesting to know that just taking out that one bit would induce hallucinations. So, enter Dr. Peter Sudfeld. Yes, uh, this is another individual who has uh, had a lot to say and a, and a lot of influence on our modern understanding of sensory deprivation. Um, he quickly uh, fell in love with the uh, with the with the technology, the methodology, and uh, and was certainly one of the individuals who owns his own tank. Well, you know too that he um, when he was a lad in school, he actually underwent some sensory deprivation uh, studies, and that's how he got interested in it himself. And uh, so that fueled his interest in the field, and he received his Ph.D. from Princeton and headed the psychology departments of Rutgers and the University of British Columbia, where he ran tank studies for years in the labs there. And his work has led him to be uh, a, a consultant with NASA and the Canadian Space Agency regarding the effects of long-duration space flights in monotonous environments, as you can imagine. Yeah. You know, running labs in something with um, with this womb-to-tomb instrument is going to give you a lot of data on that. Right, because what is a spaceship, uh, what is a space station, but uh, a, a kind of sensory deprivation mm-hmm. chamber. You're cut off from the world, you're cut off from a lot of your senses, and a lot of your senses are altered in one way or another. So uh, it's, it's a great way to study what this is like and what it will be like, uh, you know, presumably when we start dealing with longer term journeys or stays in space. Yeah, um, Sudfield studies have shown that tank sessions can be used to treat autonomic n- uh, nervous system problems like chronic pain, high blood pressure, and motion disorders. Of course, motion disorder mm-hmm. would be really great in, in space, right? Um, he also claims that the tank shifts our brain's focus from its dominant to its non-dominant hemisphere, which has various benefits. He says in, in a Slate article about floating by Seth Stevenson, quote, but God only knows why hemisphere balance is affected. We can't yet fit a brain scanner in a tank or get the scanner wet for that matter. Yeah, that's definitely one of the limitations on studying the uh, effects of this. Uh, you can't get the scanner in the tank. Um, 
but but his work has has been pretty impressive in that he has he has not gone in the direction of communicating with dolphin aliens. But indeed, his work has been has been very interesting in that it, it has not gone with the in the direction of communicating with aliens, but mm-hmm. rather with uh, with solving some real world uh, problems such as again d- depression, uh, mental disorders, um, chronic pain, chronic pain. Yeah, and I kept thinking when I was looking at the the, the information about the non dominant hemisphere about how you switch from your dominant to your non dominant about the neuroscientist, and her name escapes me right now, but she has that great TED Talk. It's called The Stroke, uh, My Stroke of Insight. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she talks about that whole experience, about the the left and right hemispheres of her brain sort of d- dissolving. And it reminded me a lot of what people are talking about when they say they have this experience in the tank, this idea that your your brain is shutting off and that things are sort of melding into everything else. And so I thought, well, this is a very interesting experiment of the mind. Um, and it will be, once we can fit a brain scanner into a tank, it'll be great to be able to see what is going on to sort of corroborate this. But just in terms of the uh, the relaxation, the the stillness of mind that one can uh, can experience with a sensory deprivation tank, I found this uh, this quote from uh, Sufield particularly interesting. And this is from Embracing the Void uh, by Seth Stevenson, which is a really fantastic slate article that deals with sensory deprivation tanks. Highly recommend checking that out. The, the quote is as follows. We had a Zen master who visited my lab once, and he asked to go into the tank for an hour. Most of his life, he had meditated every day for four or five hours or more. And he thought the depth of meditation he reached in the tank was on par with uh, a level he reached maybe once a year in his normal meditation environment, which was not exactly the middle of Times Square. He was amazed. Yeah, and that's, again, this is what comes up again and again. It's this altered state that people are able to achieve. And in a way, it seems a little bit like a cheat, right? Like, okay, I'm not going to meditate, but I'm going to go into this tank for an hour and Mm -hmm. induce a meditative state, an altered state. Uh, in which, you know, a lot of my anxiety just melts away. And as a result, you know, this chronic pain I'm experiencing um, or this depression is alleviated. Well, good, I say, you know, it's a nice cheat. It's yeah. a good cheat. Um, but again, the the I don't even want to say the problem because it's I mean, it's a problem in the sense that we don't have really good empirical data yet, like brain scans to corroborate right. a lot of this. But we do have a ton of psychological studies that keep backing it up, keep saying that it does have a, a beneficial effect on the mind and the body. There is a 2008 study that was published in Nova.edu. Uh, the title is Sensory Isolation in Flotation Tanks, Altered States of Consciousness and Effects on Well-Being. And that looked at eight Swedish participants, six of whom were female and two male, aged 35 to 69. They all had different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, they had... Uh, various states of employment. Some people were retired, some people were not. But they all complained of depression, burnout, and chronic pain. And they took these these participants who all had experience with floating before because the idea was, let's just get people in here who can quickly get into the state and who have had experience with it. And let's begin to try to figure out uh, these qualitative um, categories that we can begin to rely on to mm-hmm. assess the experience and they came up with like 21 different categories uh, from these really intensive interviews with these eight participants. Um, everything from their motivation to float to the types of sensory experiences like out-of-body experiences, level of relaxation, and then to the extent to which it changed their views on life. And the one thing that kept coming up over and over again is this altered state 
um, it's not just about relaxation. It is a changing of the mind, a changing of the mind's patterns. And they say the results of the study showed that floating is a method generally, that I'm quoting here from the paper, perceived as pleasant and comfortable, that actual pain relief may be achieved and that very deep relaxation may be attained. Furthermore, we show that altered states of consciousness are induced during the session. Examples of experiences during ASC, altered states of consciousness, are visual imagery, acoustic perceptual phenomena, an altered sense of time, a changed bodily sense, perinatal experiences, right, the womb experiences, mm-hmm. and even transpersonal experiences. And they, and they said that in all of these people, these were profound life-altering experiences. And I couldn't help but think about those psilocybin Yes, I was just thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, of people who underwent that. And um, it, was, it was a huge percentage of that study who said this was the number one life-altering experience for me, the psilocybin. Yeah. And the, these were individuals that in, in uh, many cases, this is, this is coming after they have, you know, met their, 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 their mate, that they've had children. They've had all mm-hmm. these various life experiences. They've lost loved ones uh, uh, to illness or um, uh, and and or death, but um, but then that they are given this this experience that changes the way they look at the world, and it becomes in a way the defining moment of their life. Yeah, and, and now I'm not saying that this is apples to apples that floating is like psilocybin, but right. a lot of people have said this is a way to achieve an experience without drugs. Yeah, it also reminds. There was looking at another study, uh, flotation rest and applied uh, psychophysiology uh, by Thomas H. Fine and uh, Roderick uh, Bory, and uh, they were they were looking at the way it can can be used in in, uh, in psychotherapy and uh, and they they stressed that you know you can't just throw somebody in to, to an isolation uh, tank and expect uh, results uh, that right. they, it needs to be paired with uh, with a certain amount of uh, of prepping a certain amount of uh, of pre programming and, and and therapy to so that they'll have the inner inner with the right frame of mind and have the right expectations of it and that was lining up a lot with some of these uh, these studies we've looked at where they've uh, uh, looked at the use of psychedelics as mm-hmm. uh, treatment in uh, oh and nic- nicotine addiction in uh, in depression end of life care end of life people care. who have terminal diseases yeah so right. so priming becomes very important uh, even in this I was yeah. thinking about that I thought I'm gonna have to do a good amount of priming before <laughs> I go in um, but uh, I wanted to mention this little tidbit from an io9 article called everything you ever wanted to know about sensory deprivation chambers. Uh, it says that reports of a heightened sense of introspection and out-of-body experiences by tank us- users mirror those of people with extensive experience in meditation. So you talked about the Zen master. Mm-hmm. And both practices have been linked to decreased alpha waves and increased theta waves in the brain. And these are patterns that are typically found in sleeping states. So again, there's this idea that you are resetting your brain, uh, that you are tinkering with it, although without the aid of any sort of uh, hallucinogen or substance. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, there is a, some basic uh, intro material there for you to the sensory deprivation tank, what it consists of, uh, how we kind of got here with it, uh, what some of the studies say, what some of uh, what some of its more curious um, historical tidbits uh, happen to be. And uh, indeed, uh, in the weeks ahead, we're going to set out to enter the uh, sensory deprivation tanks ourselves. Yes, and we will make sure to follow up. Uh, either in another podcast or video or both or I, I don't know. Yeah, we're still through your out dreams. The, the media through our, through your dreams is possibility. Yeah, our, our, our new uh, pan-dimensional um, media option where you can you can tune in directly to our minds. Yeah, this is kind of total new state. cool yeah. social media thing. Yeah, you have to buy your own uh, sensory deprivation tank or rent one mm-hmm. to actually tune in. But it, it's worth it. It's like a it's like a Google Hangout inside your mind. <laughs> 
So in the meantime, if you would like to reach out to us, uh, you know the various ways of doing it. Uh, certainly, if you have entered a sensory deprivation tank before uh, and had an interesting experience there, or even an, you know, a non-interesting uh, experience, either way, let us know about it. We'd love to, to hear your thoughts on this uh, this particular way of shutting down uh, portions of the mind and maybe opening up others. You can find us at the mothership at stufftoblowyourmind.com. You can find us at our Facebook account where we're Stuff to Blow Your Mind. You can find us on Twitter where our handle is Blow the Mind. On Tumblr, uh, we are uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind on there. And uh, over on YouTube, we have a channel uh, that goes by the name Mind Stuff Show. And you can also drop us a line at blowthemindatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.